Well, hello there, and welcome to episode 26 of Musical Connections. I'm Zach Snow. I'll be your host for this podcast, and we got another jam-packed episode lined up for you this week. We're going to be speaking to singer-songwriter Ian Foster. We talk about his brand new record, along with short film, Close to the Bone, plus his career in a nutshell, which includes a couple of solo albums, which includes uh, some music and and East Coast Music Awards to his name, to the various amount of artists that he's worked with, and a tour that he went on with Lomond Sound. So we're going to get to all that right after this week's newfound releases, and it's another packed newfound releases for another week in a row. We're going to kick it off with Adam Staple. Now, you may be familiar with his name with bands such as Drive and Kelly Russell and the Planks, but, but he's releasing his second EP set to come out on June 27th. Right now, here is the lead single and the title track to the brand new record. This is Quiet Part Loud on the newfound releases portion of Musical Connections.
is Adam Staple on newfound releases with Quiet Part Loud. And now we are going to introduce you to a brand new group consisting of Dominic Lamouche and Shauna Granger. They are called Alter. And they are kind of like a 80s inspired, 90s inspired kind of band, which has some influences to alternative rock and some grunge in there as well. And they released their album Currents and Unknowns last Friday. Here's one of their new songs that we have for you right now. This is Doll with a little help from Dawson Cynics on the newfound releases portion of Musical Connections.
with a little help from Dawson Cynics, that is Alter. Brand new from them, that is Doll. And we are now going to go to Barry Fitzpatrick. Here's his new tune. We all know the old saying, Nan Knows Best. Here's that song for you now on the new family releases portion of Musical Connections. No one makes a loaf of bread like Nan And no one cooks a Sunday dinner like Nan She whispers in your ear I love you, my dear She brightens up your life so much That's Nan here is my Nan Nan knows best Nan knows more Than all of the rest Spend time with her She's your girl She'll give you her Fitzpatrick for you on newfound releases with Nan Knows Best. And now we are going to go to Alberta residing but Newfoundland born and bred Darina Harvey Band. And you can actually catch my interview with Darina Harvey on an upcoming Musical Connections episode in a couple of weeks. Stay tuned to my socials for when that will drop. But right now, here's the, here's the new single from her upcoming third studio album that dropped last Friday. Here's the title track for her third record, Waves of Home on newfound releases as part of Musical Connections. (laughs) 
home and now we're going to go to john moran for our next newfound release here he is right now in the newfound releases portion of musical connections with not dead yet 
Back when we were kids, we used to be friends, dancing in the hallway, holding hands, laughing at the pictures in the picture frames. Well, I guess we're not dead yet. No, I guess we're not dead yet. I remember those days, though they're so far off. Moran for you with Not Dead Yet. And now we are going to go to Ken Tizzard and Music for Goats. And his first single that he's putting out on an album called The Dag Sessions is paying tribute to their late drummer, Steve Dag. And this song is going to be the start of a whole series of songs that's going to be coming out over the next couple of months. Here's the lead single off The Dag Sessions. This is Drunk, Stoned, and Broke on the newfound releases portion of Musical Connections. 
don't know if I'll see the sun tomorrow And if I come down from this place I hope that I might never see your face again Push back another round Push around away my sorrow You know I'll hate myself tomorrow But good God I need you tonight Good God I need you tonight Have another toke And slip quietly to understanding nothing Your words like poison smoke And I'd rather see you floating in the air Push back another round And drown away my sorrow You know I'll hate myself tomorrow But good God, I need it tonight Good God, I need it tonight on newfound releases with Drunk, Stoned, and Broke. And we are now going to go to Kirk Wells. Kirk Wells has his brand new album out called Iris, produced by Ian Foster, in which Ian is my guest this week on Musical Connections. Right now, let's get to one of Kirk's new tunes off the album, Iris. You don't have to shine on the newfound releases portion of Musical Connections right now. Stay here with me Tonight it's all I need When conversation dies We'll sit through silent night I don't have a light And you don't have to shine
may see But I'll try to forget If you won't turn your head I don't have a line And you don't have to new farm releases and now we go to mark bragg here's a new song from him ahead of his upcoming release for ashes this is the planet crumbled on the new farm releases portion of musical connections Okay. 
his upcoming EP, Ashes, Mark Bragg with The Planet Crumbled. And now we are going to wrap up this week's newfound releases with Port O Poutines. Their debut album and uh, the release of that album is set to take place at the Ship Pub coming up on June the 22nd with opening sets from Darcy Scott, who has a new album coming out June 1st. Great new releases all around, and I can't wait to feature them when they do become available. Here's Port O Poutines' brand new song. Here's a francophone take on Sarah on the newfound releases portion of Musical Connections. J'ai rencontré une fille charmante et Sarah est son nom. Ses parents veulent qu'elle se marie à un homme riche de renom. Mais je n'ai jamais eu la fortune ni la célébrité jusqu'au soir où je l'ai visité afin de demander. Sarah, Sarah, veux-tu sortir ce soir? Sarah, Sarah, la que ton manteau dit à ta mère que tu rentres à tôt et j'attendrai pour toi au clair de lune Cette s'arrête une fille discrète une fille qu'on voit rarement elle ne m'aime que pour ma personne non pas pour mon argent tous les soirs Je te donnerai Sarah, dit une voix inattendue. Et puis sa mère sortit de l'ombre lorsqu'elle m'eut entendu. Sarah, Sarah, veux-tu sortir ce soir? Sarah, Sarah, la lune brille dans le noir. En fil ta tulle et ton manteau, dis à ta mère que tu rentres à tôt. Et j'attendrai pour toi. Ce soir, Sarah, Sarah, la lune brille dans le noir. Enfile ta tuque et ton manteau, dis à ta mère que tu rentres à tôt. Et j'attendrai pour toi au clair de lune. Alrighty, let's get to this week's conversation on Musical Connections. We are next to connect with singer-songwriter, producer, and filmmaker Ian Foster. We talk about his brand new album, Close to the Bone. We also have a short film alongside it. 
and we're going to talk about the process of recording that album along with the film, plus look over his career in general. From the early days of the Ian Foster Band, to writing with the Man of a Thousand Songs, Ron Hines, to the amount of people that he has produced albums for, and his partnership with Nancy Hines, which led to the ECMA and Music NL award-winning album, A Week in December. That and a whole lot more as we are now next to connect with singer-songwriter Ian Foster. Welcome back to the Musical Connections podcast. I'm your host, Zach Snow, and joining me right now is singer-songwriter, videographer, producer, filmmaker, and on the note of filmmaking, his new album along with short film Close to the Bone is out right now, and the day that we're recording this, he would have launched his brand new album at Fred's Records, and he has been a very busy man lately, and uh, joining me right now to talk all about the new album and a whole lot more the one and the only Ian Foster. Welcome to Musical Connection, sir. Hey, Zach. Happy to be here. And uh, I'm glad to finally get you on. I, I mean, I discussed this idea, I believe, uh, when you dropped by the old Music and L building, and I think it was August or September when you were uh, looking to get some, I don't know, some grants for this new record. But um, I discussed the, the podcast idea for you and said, hey, do you want to come on the podcast when I get it launched? You were, you said, sure. And now, um, many months later, uh, you're the 26th episode. So I'm um, very happy to have you on. Congrats. Congrats. That's awesome. 26th. That's cool. <laughs> Thanks so much, man. And um, this has been a load of fun. Now, um, before we uh, really dive into things, I just want to ask you, uh, how things are in your world right now, Ian? Busy at the moment, which is good. Um, you know, uh, it's interesting, actually, after the last few years uh, of, you know, um, well, for everybody, it's been the same, you know, slowness has been a thing. And I think that the hardest thing in this particular moment seems to be carrying the right lesson of that forward. You know, I mean, life is about balance. And certainly for anyone in the arts, uh, the COVID pandemic made things uh, a little too slow, of course, you know. Um, uh, and now it's like there's that urge to rush back out there. And it's been happening in one way or another for, for me, certainly. Um, you know, uh, because I work on my own stuff, like Close to the Boat, obviously that's just come out, so it's been busy around that. And then I work with a lot of other artists, whether that be, you know, kind of like you said in your intro, like people in the studio or people in the film world. Um, and, of course, they're all rushing back out there, too. So um, I'm grateful for all that work. Uh, and it's, it's, it's been an amazing six months or so of sort of seeing some more projects kind of pop up that will carry over into next year. Um, and now I'm just trying to find that right balance to, uh, you know, take the time to, to go for the walk <laughs> and things like that at a given day, you know, and, uh, and relax a bit. So, so yeah, so things are, are certainly good and, uh, and, and busy at the moment. That's wonderful, brother. Now, um, I want to go back to, uh, your really, your early days in music. Um, so what inspired you to pursue it? And, um, just, uh, list off some influences for me that really, you know, inspired, uh, your sound and your, uh, your songwriting. Yeah, well, I mean, in terms of pursuing it, um, I was finishing my English degree, and I was going to go to journalism school, actually, and uh, mm-hmm. and it came with that final year, thinking about applying for it, I just kept putting it off and putting it off, and I didn't know why, maybe it was just, you know, fear of the real world or whatever, I went right from high school to university, you know, hadn't really experienced a lot at that point, and uh, um, anyway, it was, it was sort of a... Um, a moment where I just realized how central music was to everything. I didn't do a music degree. I did an English and history degree. But every time I could write about music, I did. 
Uh, every time I could play music, I did. Um, I did a lot of music courses whenever I could with electives. And I just realized that was the real theme. And even in I was the arts editor for the Muse, and I would always take the music stories as they came up, you know. Um, mm-hmm. It was always like, how can I be around music? And, uh, and I had just begun writing these songs, you know, a couple of years prior. I felt strongly about those. And at that point, it was very hobby-like. But I guess I was smart enough at the time at like 20 or 21 to sort of go like, you know, this, I should take a, take a shot at this. I should, should do it. So, so in my final year, you know, I, I started going down and playing a few open mics and, and I had no friend circle that, that was into the local music scene at all. Like my friends were college people who would like, if they went downtown, they just wanted to drink or dance. You know, <laughs> they weren't going as to like acoustic singer songwriter shows. So I sort of like, just would go down by myself at times and just like go to an open mic and get up and play just for the experience. And, you know, and obviously eventually met people and all that and and started my career that way. But it was very much from the ground up for me. Like I, you know, there was no, uh, if only I had like an uncle or like a cousin who could give me a gig or something, but it wasn't that way. It was all just uh, whatever I could figure out for myself at that point. That's awesome, Ian. Now, um, I would imagine one of your influences would be uh, the late Gordon Lightfoot. Now, um, the day that we're recording this is May 5th, 2023, and I really can't say that because um, a couple of days ago, we uh, we lost the, the legendary singer-songwriter at the age of 84, and um, what, this one, really the main reasons I got you on here, aside from talking about your new album, Close to the Bone, you uh, played a gig with Gordon Lightfoot in 2014, and I saw the post that you made about it, and uh, I found that to be really interesting, so tell me more about that that gig you had in 2014 and what kind of impact did Gordon Lightfoot have on your career? Yeah. I mean, my dad, uh, was a Gordon Lightfoot fan for sure. He saw him back in the seventies when he was at the art college in Halifax. And, uh, you know, my, that's some of my earliest memories of, of, uh, listening to stuff, you know, that my dad would throw on kind of thing. Um, and so, uh, you know, I wouldn't say, you know, Gordon was someone that I threw on all the time. Um, but certainly, you know, the songs are incredible. And uh, and we cover one, you know, we cover Song for a Winter's Night, Nancy and I, uh, on our Week in December album. Um, and, you know, I think if you're a Canadian songwriter who tells stories in your songs or on stage, like you owe Gordon Lightfoot a debt because he was a trailblazer of, of sort of, you know, he was one of the biggest Canadian folk icons, uh, you know, of all time. Um, I mean, the Rolling Stone article that was shared, you know, minutes after the news came out, uh, used the phrase genius level Canadian songwriter. And I just thought that was a, a great string of words, you know, uh, obviously genius level is true. And certainly quite a pride that he was one of ours. Um, uh, so yeah, so that was, that was pretty, that was, he's definitely, you know, a key, a key figure. And for me, um, in terms of the opening show, yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes you get these calls and it, that's a pretty cool one for sure. Uh, oh, yeah. so obviously I was going to take, take the opportunity. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, you're sort of like, you know, you want to be respectful, obviously. Like I wasn't going to be like, Gordon and I are friends now. Let's hang out all the time. <laughs> you're sort of like, I hope to, uh, I'm the opener. So, you know, you hope to get like a minute or two with them. And I got a couple of more minutes than that. That was great. You know, we had, we had a little chat. He was engaging. He was, he was interested and, uh, you know, got to, got to check out the stage set up up close, like all that stuff that like still remains fun 20 years on for me. You know, it's like, it's just fun to be in that, 
that environment with, uh, you know, fellow musicians and all that stuff. So, yeah, it was a special night for sure. That's wonderful, brother. Uh, when you were uh, opening up for Gordon Lightfoot, uh, did you and him ever have, like, a talk? And uh, did, you, did, he, did he really, like, give you any advice on, uh, like, how to, you know, approach music and, like, really um, how to, like, you know, improve as a singer-songwriter or really, like, you know, pick his brain or whatnot? Yeah, so we did have a chat. Um, but, I, you know, to be honest with you, like, I can't remember any key phrase. There wasn't something where he was like, you know, this, you know. And, and to be honest, like, I think the thing that was so cool about it was that it was, it was just that. It was a chat, you know. Um, and, and he was a pretty humble guy in that way. Um, like, he wasn't, uh, because it was so short, it's not like he was like, all right, here's my advice for you, you know. It truly was like a, hey, how's it going? And then, like, a little chit-chat about Newfoundland and the place. and You know, like, a little small talky. Uh, but, you know, even that was kind of cool. It was just like, you know, for someone uh, like that who's just looking to, to connect with another person, you know. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, it was special in that sense. That's awesome, brother. And um, Gordon Lightfoot is definitely missed by many people here in Newfoundland and Labrador. And um, I won't forget the time that he um, came here to Newfoundland and Labrador in 2019 and uh, had a shows here i think he may have just had one show but i think he may have got canceled but um just the fact that gordon life was here was a big deal 100 now um uh 2006 was your very first album that you put out it was uh through the wires and it was branded under the ian foster band name so that's yourself uh alan Locke, kurt moist and derm carberry um what do you remember about those uh early days uh with the ian foster band and uh why uh go under that name for the first one <laughs> Yeah, so, um, yeah, back to kind of, I guess, what I was saying in one of the other, uh, to one of the other questions there, you know, it was it was very much start from scratch for me when I began, and somewhere in there, I began meeting those band members, you know, in the sort of 2003, 2004, I suppose, playing some shows, and uh, started jamming, and, and so we formed a band, and it is called the Foster Band out of uh, sheer lack of uh, creativity when it comes to a name. You know, that was the placeholder name for a long time. Um, though I guess there was, you know, the Matthews Band and the Dave Matthews Band and blah 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 at the time that were that were popular. So there was a trend of doing that. But but we were literally like placeholder, placeholder, placeholder. You know, we'll, we'll come up with a band name. You know, and uh, and then eventually it just was like, I guess this is the name of the band. You know. Um, and so we did a ton of gigs around that time. And it was really that learning how to be a band and play music period that every artist goes through. Um, and the band and the album was indeed, you know, that again, uh, all for one, one for all, like the contributions to the members were, you know, um, were integral and they, they, um, uh, they, they evolved over time, like any good art, you know, like they would evolve into jams. It wasn't, uh, and I guess what I'm distinguishing is compared to like a session musician or someone who comes in, you know, with a producer and an artist and they, they you know, kind of come up with a part on that day or in, in one rehearsal and then that ends up on the record or ends up at the show. This was more like everyone, I, I would take, uh, you know, kind of acoustic finished songs to the band, but we would still change arrangements and we would still work on them in that typical band way. So. So in that way, it truly is like a, a you know, a, a record that stands apart from any of the other ones that I've made. Um, and yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely some, some fun and hilarious memories from that period of time. Awesome, brother. Now, um, in 2008, you just went solo for a Room in the City, and you've really been uh, solo ever since. Um, 
with the exception of uh, 2018's Week in December, but we'll get to that album in a moment. But I want to stick with uh, Room in the City. Uh, why make the decision to, you know, go solo uh, or brand yourself as just Ian Foster for that 2008 album? Yeah, so, I mean, the band essentially, like, there were just other interests for those members, and, like, I was getting to the place where I wanted to tour regularly around records, and that just wasn't in the cards for some of the band members, you know, people who had, like, families and kids and stuff at the time. Um, so, uh, so yeah, the second, you know, the, the, even the first record, of the, it was toured solo. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, so the second record, it sort of just made sense that it would be, would be a solo album at the time. And the writing changed a lot as well. Like the first album is very much like a rock band record again, that kind of stands apart. Um, and uh, Room in the City was like a, a concerted effort to uh, uh, write a different kind of song, go for a different kind of production. Awesome. Now, in 2010, you released We Begin Here, and uh, that was also the year uh, you dived into uh, music videos and videography. So you uh, did a music video for an open letter from the island. Now, um, tell me a little bit more about that tune and um, why you wanted to, uh, you know, do music videos. Yeah, that was a song that I'd written a couple of years prior, I think, to it coming out and doing the music video. It was kind of a, in fact, actually, maybe the song came out first. Video came out like a year or more later, or something like that. Okay, you know it's, it's pr- truly proof that, like, you know, as much as we all think we have, like, a, a you know, you do the song and you release it with the video, which is the normal way to do it. But there's no such thing as normal in the music industry. You know, you can kind of do it in multiple ways. Right. And it was a really interesting experience for me because uh, I'd written the song based on experiences on the road and negative ones. You know, it's basically a song about Newfoundland stereotypes, and so it was very much written like a reaction song um and then uh, uh andrew winter this this uh director here um we talked a lot about the song so he and a lot of power um created this video and i think i was on tour at the time i don't even think i was here uh, we were corresponding about like what the sign should say like i was writing a bunch of those they were too i think um because the video is basically people holding up you know facts about newfoundland or signs they vary from being you know, sort of poignant to funny and all that stuff. And uh, and it was a different time of, of algorithms, I guess, uh, because that video uh, went went viral. Like, I remember seeing, like, you know, 10,000 views in a day or in a few hours or something, and I would see all these Facebook shares and people sharing from those shares, and it was like, it was really, it was, that was my experience with, with viral video, I suppose, uh, or one of the couple that I've had. Yeah, it was really cool. It was really fun, and it was, it was, it was fun in the sense that, like, now, as, you know, anyone listening would know, it's like, if you share something on Facebook, it seems like no one else sees that share. Like, you see very little engagement on shares. You know, it's like, it's, it happens, but it's, it's very slim. But back then, it was like, I would see someone that I knew or that was on my list share it, and then I would get to read all these, like, strangers' comments on theirs that were like, wow, I'm really enjoying this song or whatever. And it felt like a really... It actually felt like social media, as the name would suggest. Like there was a social element. You would actually see conversations happening around something, and uh, and that that was that was pretty fun. That was pretty fun. So yeah, open letter, uh, and it's still a song that you know I do play occasionally as well. All these years later, it's requested. So deadly. Now, um, twenty eleven, you produced your first album that was not your own. Now for the now for the most part, um, you've produced a lot of albums 
on your own or with someone else. But um, the first one you really got to produce uh, for another artist was Matthew Hare's This Time Last Year. Now, um, you've also produced for the likes of uh, Rosemary Lawton. You produced for uh, Kat McCleavy. You've also produced for um, Melanie O'Brien, Jerry Stamp, Port of Call. So what do you enjoy most about producing for other musicians here? Yeah, I mean, excuse me. Um, it's it's certainly um, it's certainly a special thing to get to work on someone else's music. You know, I know it as as the artist first. Like how much trust is required um, to mm-hmm. to hire someone to come on for to to help you uh, steer the ship and and achieve the artistic vision. Um, and and it learned a lot as an artist before I ever took that seat. So I think that especially starting out, that was probably my greatest skill in that in that field is that I had that specific experience. Um, and you know, since then I've just learned. I've learned a lot technically. Obviously, I've learned a lot in terms of um, you know how to get the best out of an artist in the studio and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's uh, more time in the studio. Really, like it's it's. Uh, you know, there's just there's just no downside, really. Like it's just fun to work on music. You're always going to learn something from every project, um, and I, you know, it's just one of those jobs that um, you know everyone should have a job like music producer. It doesn't have to be that job, but in the sense that uh, it is a job where you're constantly learning, you're constantly using your brain. You know, it's, uh-huh. it's not like a data. It's not a data entry job. You know, you're not turning off your brain from nine to five. Like you're you're always progressing in some ways and that can just feel really good so uh so yeah i do love that that part of what i do yeah and just from the amount of albums that you've worked on you're also working on a new album that uh which songs that i feature on newfound releases before uh kirk wells's new album iris uh, set to uh come out this month uh, by the time that this does air uh it would have already been out so um it's great to see how much work you've put into you know producing a music for other artists yeah absolutely and that that was a fun one with kirk i mean kirk is someone who is so up for trying things in the studio, which is great. And he's not particularly concerned with genre or like any kind of rules. And because uh, I think all that stuff is, is kind of nonsense anyway, you know? Um, like, I think that we're in an amazingly creative moment in time. It's terrifying as well in terms of like the technology and all that in some ways <laughs> and what the future might hold, you know? But I think that we can kind of do anything now. Like stuff sounds great, you know. There's there's so many tools to get, you know, to to kind of limit the um, the inevitable drudgery that comes with any job. You know, it could be like editing or something like that. You know, that it's like, um, you know, we have tools to just finesse a lot of that away and spend more time on the important stuff, like you know, the song itself and the arrangement and those, you know, the the actual the, the nature of the tone of the sounds you're getting and stuff like that. So, so yeah, it's really cool to, to be in that moment. And then when you're working with an artist who, um, it's kind of like, yeah, what if we tried this, you know, with everything. And so, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, we had a lot of fun. We weren't afraid to try something and go, wow, that's hilarious. That no, we're not going to do that, you know, but it's like, that's how you come up with special things. Exactly. Now, um, one of those special things that you did end up doing uh, throughout your career, uh, you uh, had a couple of co-writes to your name, and one of them was with the Man of a Thousand Songs, Ron Hines. And I believe you uh, he wrote a tune for you on uh, the 2008 record, Room in the City. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. but um, Yeah, that- no, it was that one. It was actually, that, that was the co-write, actually, was, uh, was a song called Decisions on that album. Okay, and um, uh, just continue on with that uh, question. Um Getting to write with someone like Ron Hines, uh, what was that uh, like for you? 
yeah, I mean, obviously special and, and kind of pivotal at the time. You know, I, I was, that was my first solo record, as you said, and as we talked about, so it was pretty early in the career. And so to have someone kind of believing in me in that moment, I guess, uh, and someone who wasn't a friend or family, you know, because obviously when you start off and you need that support, you want your friends and family to believe in you, but there comes a moment, I guess, where you're sort of like, you know, you want uh, you want fans at the show, not just friends and family. You know, you want people who don't know you, <laughs> and you want <laughs> and you want to, you know, you want to learn uh, learn if you're any good. I guess, really, for for lack of a better way of describing it. And of course, like you know, friends and family usually aren't going to tell you. You know, to to be in you know to play for a room of strangers and win them over is really the the test. You know, and so for me, like going on tour was the answer to that because you're playing for strangers every single night. And you're learning a lot in the process, and uh, and then of course to to uh, work with obviously it was a dream, but even to to get that sort of validation from someone that I truly respected in the Newfoundland music scene, you know, like he's he's my people, you know, he's a songwriter himself, and he's a really good one. Um, so you know, to to have any kind of remark from from someone like that, it just meant the world at the time. Yeah, and it's really that stamp of approval and really knowing that, like, as a singer-songwriter, you truly have made it. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. I mean, uh, it's funny because it's so early in my career, I, I definitely didn't feel like I made it, but I definitely felt like, uh, um, you know, like that was really, if anything, it wasn't sort of an end to the journey. That was the real start, I suppose. It was like, oh, okay, there's some, like you said, there's some validation there. There's some stamp of approval. So, you know, keep going, see where you can go with it. And to be honest, that was probably the advice that I think I would hear from him periodically over the years after that, in the, in the decade or so from our first meeting to when he passed away. He would, you know, we got to know each other well enough that he would kind of give me some stage pieces of advice. And, uh, you know, I, I remember one of them was about, you know, just getting up and doing it every day. Like, as simple as that. Like, get up and you know, write every single day, um, you know. And uh, I do remember in classic Ron style that he said that to me one night for Rose and Sizzle. And then, you know, it was it was genuine, earnest advice. And then he sort of smiled and stepped back and spread his arms and went, and then you'll take my place as the greatest Newfoundland songwriter of all time. <laughs> you know, I just said it, said it in a really kind of funny, grandiose term, you know, to joke around. So, I mean, that was, that was who he was, you know, it was fun. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, um, uh, on the note of songwriting, you were a finalist in the International Songwriting Competition. Now, um, just tell me when the, that took place for you, and uh, what do you remember most about that time uh, with the International Songwriting Competition? Oh, yeah, that was really early. I think that was 2003, I believe, and so that would have been the start for me. So I submitted this song of one of those ones I mentioned earlier that was like, you know, one of those early pieces that I, that I wrote that was like, I should start playing this for people, you know? And, uh, and so I submitted it there. And I, I think the thing that I remember most actually was I was working at chapters at the time and, uh, and, and gigging downtown at the night. And, um, I, I remember a neighbor coming in and kind of talking to me like a neighbor from my street where I grew up, you know? And he was like, so you're doing music now. There was sort of a hint of like, Oh yeah, you know this is an interesting little side hustle for you, like kind of like a little concept, you know, just sort of a, uh, you know, uh, I guess a lack of belief in it. And then like a week later, that news came out, and it was in like a telegram and a bunch of stuff that I was. Oh wow! Following. 
And then, and then he came in, and that was like my first press probably ever on that as well, because it had actually done, really, other than open mics. Uh, and so then he came in a week later, and he was like, uh, he, he had a whole different attitude. And that was sort of an interesting lesson, because really the only thing that changed was him, right? It wasn't me that changed. Like, I still had that song a week before, you know? It was just the news, the press, the, the sort of like... Uh, the smoke and mirrors, I guess, for lack of a better term, you know, in this case, that, that sort of changed his perspective a little bit. So it was, uh, that was kind of funny to me that it was like, yeah, it's, you know, it, it, it's back to a much deeper idea, I guess, almost philosophical of like, you know, you just have to look after yourself, you know, because other people will constantly change and you can't control their perspectives, you know, so you just have to, you just have to control your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so that's sort of my, by tangential memory of uh, of that uh, of that competition, for sure. Now, 2017 was a pretty big year for you. You released Sleeper Years, uh, which was the most recent album uh, until Close to the Bone. And uh, Sleeper Years ended up becoming one of your most successful solo ones to date. And one of those songs on it was that tribute to Ron Hines, "You Left a Song." So, uh, what was recording that album like? And uh, going further into uh, "You Left a Song," how important was that tune for you? Yeah, um, well, I'll talk about the album first, I guess. So, um, yeah, I mean, the record, uh, I I did feel very, um, I felt like I achieved a certain thing that I was looking for with that album. I guess it was in the production and in the writing, like I was certainly proud of those songs. I felt like it was was definitely a a bit different than what I'd done up to then, but, but perhaps more it was just like the, the achievement of a certain type of writing for me at the time. And that, that was, you know, it was satisfying to, to reach that on that record. Um, and then it sort of like at the same time felt like, uh, so, and when I say that, I don't mean like, you know, best songs ever or anything like that. It was very much a personal thing. Um, and, uh, and, and I felt like I then kind of reached the end of that road of that type of song and that type of writing, um, which is really kind of where, you know, then close to the bone starts to develop. Um, cause it's a very different record than anything else I've done. But, um, yeah, so I think that that was, that was what was important to me most about that record looking back now. Um, and then, yeah, you know, the songs on that record, um, and it made a lot of sense. I think it, it was written, obviously, separate from that. It was written for that very specific reason of Ron's passing, but it seemed to fit really well on that record, which I was glad about. Um, it wasn't just put on because it was a song that wrote, you know, um, and uh, and certainly that song was was another um, kind of uh, singular experience, I suppose, because it was written the night that he passed, and it was not a um, it was not a concerted effort to do that. Um, you know, I can't imagine just thinking like someone's passed, I better write a song right away. You know, like that seems crazy. So for me, it was more like processing. You know, which was a very you know probably the purest reason to, to do what I do is really like, you know, as a way to process your experiences and uh, maybe bring yourself some comfort when you need it or get out some anger when you need it, you know, like that is what creativity is, you know. Um, and so that night I was just, uh, when the power went out and Ron's passing was, was announced, I was just in the dark with that information and, you know, took down my acoustic guitar and just sort of started to think about Ron and, uh, um, and really think about like, uh, try to, you know, think about him honestly. Like he was definitely a character, you know, he was not a saint by any means. Uh-huh. No one ever said he was, you know, 
And, uh, and, and so I was sort of trying to drill down into that a little, just in my own processing of being like, you know, what, what was that life really, you know, like what is any creative life, you know? And I guess it's, it's that the stuff that you leave behind, right. That, that immortality of a really great song and a song that means something to someone else that you don't even know, you know, uh, certainly golden rule wise, that's, that's been the case for me. I mean, I can't even tell you the number of songs that have changed my life and I never met the artist who wrote them, you know, but I'm really glad that the, the artist exists and the songs exist. And so I really felt like that was what Ron did, right? He brought all those great stories uh, and told the stories of our culture. Uh, and, and they're all just out there waiting for people to discover still, you know? So that's where the idea, I guess, of you left the song came from. Awesome. Now, 2018 was another big year for you because uh, yourself and uh, your partner, Nancy Hines, uh, teamed up together to uh, release A Week in December, which was uh, a holiday album. And uh, it won East Coast Music Award and Music and L Awards, and that really trumped the success of Sleeper Years there for you. So uh, what do you enjoy most about playing uh, with your partner, Nancy Hines? And uh, further to that, uh, did you expect the uh, A Week in December to take off like it did? Yeah, so... Um... I mean, certainly, like, Nancy and I have been, she's been on record of mine dating back to, I guess, 2011. I think she was on, yeah, she was on um, Evening Light would have been the first record she sang on. Okay. Uh, but that involved, you know, like, that was very much, yes, harmony singer, I suppose, you know. And then I sort of joke about it, but we did our little kind of what the Beatles did because we were on tour in Germany, and the Beatles famously, like, sort of became the band that they became by touring a ton in Germany and playing every day. So I sort of joked. Yeah, because you had that residency back tour. then. Yeah, yeah. And I, I joked friends because when we toured for Sleeper Years, she came with me and we toured in Germany. We played like 28 shows in 30 days or something. So I was oh, like, wow. that was our Beatles period because truly like it started with like me playing and she would get up and sing a song or two. And then like because we were playing so often and obviously very like very similar stuff but she just got to know everything and was like, I'm going to sing on that. I'll, I can sing on that. And then suddenly by the end of the tour, she was like truly a part of the show. And so it just made sense again, like an organic evolution, you know? Um, and so uh, then we talked about a Christmas album. It was something we had sort of toyed around with for a few years. And uh, I'd written the title track week in December. And that was all, that was all sort of went relatively according to plan. Like we knew we wanted to sing, you know, uh, carols and hymns that uh, we grew up with that, that we had fond memories for. You know, I've always loved Little Town of Bethlehem. Nancy always loved songs like Friendly Beast that she would sing with her mother. That was a less common song, but there's great versions of it out there. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we just kind of put together this record, um, uh, this set list, I guess, of what, what would make a cool Christmas album. And, uh, and put it together and toured it. And it was very, it's been very fulfilling. We've only done two tours with it because again, 2018 is the record. And of course, you know, 2020, the pandemic. So we only have really had two Christmases to tour it, but we are actually considering touring it again this year. Cause that is the true beauty of Christmas albums. They are, they are, uh, uh eternal, you know, I mean, Christmas songs uh, don't get old or, you know, really. So, so we're actually considering going back out of the road with it. So yeah, it's definitely like, some really sweet moments with that. It definitely introduced a few audiences in places that hadn't heard my stuff before to to us and then to my back catalog, which is really cool. So, uh, yeah, only positive thoughts on Week in December. 
awesome, and uh, it's a really, really great album. Uh, of course, uh, for those who don't know already, uh, I'm a volunteer at VOWR, and I've played uh, a good couple of songs from Sleeper Years and A Week in December on on my programs before, and uh, it's really great to, uh, you know, hear how the tracks come out, uh, uh, you know, on that album. And uh, it's really great to, you know, those two albums had the success that they did, and I'm looking forward to hearing you guys uh, play A Week in December again. Oh, thanks. Yeah, thank you. Now, um, most recently, uh, you went across the island to uh, visit schools, and uh, you were playing for students. So uh, the fourth member alternated, but it was yourself, Rosemary Lawton, and Hugh Scott. Um, so what was that experience like, and uh, really, what was the purpose of uh, that school tour? Yeah, so that was a tour put together by the Sound Monterey Arts Foundation, uh, Eric West, out in uh, Musgrave Harbor. And I've worked a bunch with Eric over the last number of years. I recently recorded a version of Tickle Cove Pond with Loman Sound featuring Kevin Blackmore as the vocalist. Uh, and then we made an animated music video that will actually be screened at the Nichols Hill Festival this spring. Oh, wow. Uh, so that's cool. That's that, Yeah, that'll be, uh, that'll be I guess, the, the, the newest release shortly. Uh, <laughs> so that'll be, uh, that, that was fun and very much like different than, you know, my own stuff. Obviously, this is very much like a traditional music approach. Uh, and again, like fun, you know, learned a lot working on that project. Um, and, uh, and so Eric put together these school tours. Um, and so we, we went for two weeks and it was like mostly, I think K to six and, uh, honestly, like, you know, it's pretty fun. I mean, like, uh, you know, I've done some, some private teaching and workshop work, uh, in my career before. And, uh, you know, the, the best part about it is, you know, those, it can reinvigorate some of the passion of music for you because you get to see little kids enjoying music. I mean, there's nothing kind of better than a face lighting up at a cool sound or like, you know, a song that they know or a song they don't know that they think sounds cool. I mean, that's what it's really all about. It's so easy to lose that when, you know, you've done it a million times or whatever. So you, you sort of, it reminds you of like how cool it truly is when you, uh, when you do something like that. Awesome. Now, uh, let's actually get to uh, one of the other main reasons I got you on here. Um, just about a month ago, you released uh, your, uh, I believe this is out of your 11th, or uh, I'm completely off on this. My math's not right. But I'll You know, go... it's okay. It's a... Yeah, I had to look it up myself, actually. It's my ninth. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> but the ninth studio album is also your most recent studio album, Close to the Bone, which you also released a short film for. Now, um, tell me a little bit more about the album and really uh, what the short film's all about. Yeah, so this one uh, is was a, a epic project for sure. I mean, it began about four years ago, I suppose. Um, you know, and, and of course the pandemic just seems to have added years to everybody's things that they're working on. Right. But this one even began pre-pandemic. You know, um, and uh, yeah, it was it was the new album that started out. You know, in its very beginning as. As, as, you know, a typical record, I suppose. I had a song written. I'm going to start try to write some more. But very quickly, um, and with the help of my co-producer, who I brought on pretty early in the process, Mark Turner, um, it, it, became, um, it became an exercise in trying to write a little bit differently. I was playing far more piano. There's very little acoustic guitar on this album. There's only acoustic on two tracks, I think. Um, and, uh, and far more, like, piano-driven stuff, synth-driven stuff. Um, kind of drum percussion driven things um yeah it was it was super fun i felt like i was taking a lot of the things i've learned 
um, on some other records I've produced for other artists, as I mentioned earlier, you know, that is, a, that's, that's a great piece of it. You all would learn something when you work on somebody else's work. And so the benefit of that is when you come back to your own, you kind of have a few more fresh, fresh ideas, you know, um, and fresh perspectives on things. So that, that was, um, that was the beginning of creating that and putting it together kind of in the studio. Um, and then early in the process as well, uh, the film idea came about via watching the Nationals' I'm Easy to Find, which is a 27-minute film that uses music from their album with the same title. And I watched that on a Christmas tour, actually. I was back at the accommodations and going to bed for the night and, and just discovered that there was this short. I'd actually been listening to that particular album for a year almost when it came out. And, uh, and then I sort of, I, I came across this short film. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I might, I'll just throw it on to see what it's about. I'll watch it tomorrow. I'm pretty tired. And 27 minutes later, I was watching the credits roll. You know, it was totally compelling from start to finish. Drew me in, thought it was so beautiful, so well made, and just kind of gave me the idea that I'm like, okay, I can do maybe my version of this, whatever that looks like. And that was my only thought. I was just so excited by the idea of it and not wanting to copy it, but just sort of bottle that that really cool exchange of arts, you know, because it really is, if you watch the film and any backstory on it, it really was like a creative back and forth between their director and the band over how that that project came together. Um, and so, and it ended up being very similar for Close to the Bone. Like, I work with Mark Turner as, as a co-producer on the album part, and Justin Sims as a co-producer or a producer on the on the film part. And, you know, it, uh, it was very complex. It took a very long time, but, uh, you know, the re- I'm happy with the result and, and that journey and that process was just so, so cool. You know, I mean, it was fun. Like we were, you know, we ended up having lots of conversations that weren't even about that. Like we were hanging out, you know, we were doing that, that, uh, that thing that is just great to live in that creative space with somebody else for a while. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, it was a really, uh, it was a really cool project. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, four years in the making, definitely. Now, um, uh, how's the reception to that album and the film been for you so far? Uh, you know, from what you just mentioned there, uh, uh, just about a moment ago. Yeah, it's been, it's been great. You know, um, it, it, it's always cathartic to release a record that, you've lived with very intimately for a long time. And then, you know, it gets out in the world and you start to actually get to hear some feedback on it. And there was certainly, um, in many ways, I think some of the most personal responses that I've received have been about this record, because I think about, you know, the songs and the content, but, but also the film element, I think it just, it, it, it hits people in a different way than, than, uh, than just music, quote unquote, if you know what I mean. So it's, uh, because there was a film as well and there's a, a storyline there. Um, yeah, I've got a lot of people kind of remarking about how they've kind of lived a version of some of the storylines in this film or are currently living in that sort of the comfort that the film brought them, which, you know, obviously is the most special thing. Um, and, uh, and it has been like a long and interesting arc as well. I said earlier, there's no normal way to do things in the music business and that applies here. You know, it was like, um, uh, you know, like the film came out in festivals in 2022. So there were people who've heard a bunch of songs on this record like a year ago. Uh, and now the whole thing is out, you know, a year later. So uh, a weird process, but a good one. Absolutely. Uh, so just talking about all that, uh, what's next for you? 
Um, what's next? Great question. Well, I'm actually scoring a um, feature documentary right now for the National Film Board. Interestingly enough, it's, it's Justin Sims' film, so you know our our creative friendship continues. Um, and that's probably the biggest film score project I've done um, up to this point. So wow. that that was a really exciting project to to guest. Um, and I'm also doing a number of other uh, shorts as well uh, right now. A picture start short. Uh, as well as another one for, for Stephen Bennell. So um, lots of film score stuff at the moment. Um, I'm back working with the Duds uh, at the moment on a few more songs for them for the fall. Um, and yeah, a few other, few other projects here and there and kind of considering um, uh, some touring, uh, I think, in the fall and into the Christmas season. So more on that too. And uh, for people who want to find out more about what you're up to and where people can see you next, uh, where can they go? Yeah, you can watch the film just on YouTube. If you search Close to the Bone, Ian Foster, you'll find it immediately. Um, I'm on all the usual social sites, ianfoster.ca. Close to the Bone has a film website as well, close to the bone.ca. So, um, yeah, you can find all the things there. Well, Ian, it's been a pleasure to go back over your career with you and uh, also talk about Close to the Bone. It's a wonderful uh, short film and a great album at that. Ian Foster, thank you so much for joining me on the Musical Connections podcast this week. You have a wonderful day, and uh, once again... Best of luck with everything that you're going to be doing over the next couple of months. Thank you, Zach. Thanks for having me on. Always great to catch up with Ian Foster. There you go. That was my conversation with him. And right now, here's the title track for his new record out now. This is Close to the Bone on Musical Connections. is not simple It's reconnaissance for something more It's not open to us yet But I think that we can find the door Is that 
episode 26 of Musical Connections. A big, big thank you to Ian Foster for joining me as my guest this week. New Musical Connections episodes drop every Tuesday at 12 noon, Newfoundland Standard Time, on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. And on the note of new episodes, we have three guests lined up for the next couple of weeks. May 30th, we are going to be speaking to Courtney Wicks, the first ever signee for Silly Cove Records, whose launch was just about a week or so ago, and I cannot wait to talk to her about her brand new album, Love Me, and what it was like working with two-time Grammy Award-winning producer, Greg Wells. June 6th on the podcast, we will be having Adam Staple. He's got a brand new record coming out June 27th called Quiet Part Loud, and we're going to talk to him all about you know his battles with mental health, as well as the two solo EPs, as well as his career with the likes of Drive and Kelly Russell and The Planks. We will speak to Darina Harvey of the Darina Harvey Band, and they got a new record coming out June 23rd called Waves of Home. We're going to talk to her all about that, and if you got any uh, new music for newfound releases or would like to be a guest on the podcast, simply email me, musicalconnectionsnl at gmail.com. That's going to do it for episode 26 of Musical Connections. Thank you for connecting. I've been your host, Zach Snow. Stay safe and please be kind to one another. And until next time, safe home.